Welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast with practical advice for mid-career professionals. I'm Kat. And I'm Liz. And we are super, super excited to be welcoming a really special guest, Emily Citrian. Emily is a professional services and implementation consulting leader who hosts the podcast Manager.Flow and is the author of the brand new book, Make Me the Boss, Surviving as a Millennial Manager in the Corporate World. Emily, for those who don't know what PSO slash implementation is, please tell our audience who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. It it is a little bit of a niche acronym, so happy to dive into it a bit. Yeah. Um, So I've been working in the tech world for about 10 years, um, and and the portion of the tech world that I've always gravitated to um, and I've spent most of the years focusing on is professional services implementation. So it's essentially the function within a company that is working with an end user or a customer to configure the software, set it up, help them test it, validate workflows, and then turn it over to some more long-term customer success manager or support. Um, So, you know, project management's a big part of it, software delivery, uh, those sorts of things. Great. And how did you get there? Like, how did you get into PSO? Like, it is such a niche thing. And like, how did that happen? Yeah. So when I was in college, um, I went to UC Berkeley, graduated in 2010. And even from that time, I knew I wanted to work in tech. You know, I was so excited, especially at that time, like the iPhone had just come out Mm -hmm. and you were seeing all of a sudden there's apps and wow, you can write a few lines of code and it can change people's lives overnight. And so I I really wanted to go into, you know, public policy or something like that, you know, like a lot of people at Berkeley do. I want to go change the world. But um, actually tech, I think, is what changes the world for better or for worse uh, the most quickly. So I was very drawn to it. Um, And I I started working um, at a healthcare tech organization based out of Madison, Wisconsin, um, helping to deliver their enterprise solution to really large scale clients, big healthcare uh, systems. Um, and after a couple of years there, uh, you know, this was like a 7,000 person company. Um, after that, I really got the startup itch, like a lot of people do. And I thought, wow, what if I just totally pivoted and joined some 20 person, you know, company that's operating out of Silicon Valley? Why not? And so I did. Um, it got very lucky, you know, only about 5% or so of startups, you know, quote, make it past the first five years. This one was definitely one of those unicorns. And and not long after I started, they got their first really big round of funding, like in the millions. And so what happened is a lot of those early employees, myself included, all of a sudden, boom, you're a manager now. Now you're going to go and build a team and you're going to do a thing. And oh, by the way, we're scaling this thing to try to, you know, IPO or, you know, have some kind of big, uh, sexy tech exit. So that was really my story of how I got into all of this. And because I had done software implementations, that was sort of the niche that I focused on um, in the tech world and, and what I've done ever since. But But that was really kind of the genesis of me thinking, why isn't there a book that teaches someone how to do this? It's like pretty hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what inspired you then to, you know, become a moonlighter and in management consulting (laughs) and management training, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think at the time I was maybe 26 or 27, Mm -hmm. um, you know, had a few years of work experience and had had some great managers and some not so great Mm -hmm. managers. Like we've all had, we've all had those. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we learn the most from the the ones that are maybe not not so great. I I couldn't agree with you more. Like, you know, all of it is good experience, right? I mean, and I think, unfortunately, we remember what not to do sometimes even more than what to do. 
right? From the, from the managers that may not, may not have had the training or the inclination because not everyone's meant to be a manager. Oh, I I think the vast majority of the population (laughs) should not do it. (laughs) That's like one of the big messages that I want to get out there is there are other ways to advance and and you don't have to be a manager to be a leader. And, you know, that's, that's very true, but yeah, I think most people should not do it. So I spent, I spent a few years in that role, building a team, um, creating managers that reported into me. So even kind of moving into like more of a mid-level role, I was there for four and a half years. It was great. Um, ended up pivoting into another company. It was a you know publicly traded kind of late stage enterprise company doing something very similar, running their implementation team. Absolutely loved that. But then you know a few years ago, I, a friend called me, uh, and I, I kind of joke in my book that as millennials, we get very uncomfortable when the phone actually rings. You know, we're much more comfortable right. texting. Right. And DMing. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a big deal. Um, pick up, picked up the phone and and she said she had gotten a promotion. She was a manager and she said, wow, you know, you, you've done this, right? You've built a team and you've managed people. What, what book do you recommend for me to just get started? I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write that book because I don't think it exists. And so, and so that was really the genesis of it. I, I started to write it. Life got in the way as it tends to do. I don't think I realized how insane writing a book actually would be. Um, it's absolutely brutal. I had sort of set it aside and then I came back to it during the pandemic um, and, and finished it. And it's uh, it's crazy to see it uh, actually done now. So uh, very yeah. final stages here. Yeah. Congratulations. And it will, it'll be launched by the time we launch this podcast. So that's yes. exciting. Yeah. It's out today when you're reading, listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to hear some stories like I want to hear about your learning journey, because clearly you didn't get to the point where like I should write a book at the moment. You're like, what the heck do I do here? Like there was there was time in between those two moments. And so what were some of your like highlights and lowlights of that discovering your voice as a manager or your process as a manager, if you will? Yeah, I I think that really good managers are really never done discovering who they are as leaders and and evolving. And and that's a really big part of it. You've never arrived if you're actually good at it. You've never kind of get to that point. And you shouldn't because if you're trying to teach your team, hey, you need to get better at XYZ. If you yourself don't have a plan to get better at XYZ, they're going to outgrow you or you're not growing, you know, you're not setting the right example in in the kind of space for them to grow either. For sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I made a lot of the classic mistakes that I that I write about in my book. I think it was, you know, got overly emotionally involved with each each problem that would come up. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. I kind of I made every hill a hill to die on. Um <laughs> I think I maybe leaned a little bit too much into the cult of personality myself being like, oh, I'm great, making this great team around me. Um, And it made it very hard for me to like transition, you know, out of the department and kind of bring in new leaders and and things like that. I'm a lot more grounded now. I think uh, it doesn't mean I don't have bad days. I certainly do um, all the time. Many as I was actually writing the book, which was really fun because I'm (laughs) writing a book about how to be great at your job. And today I wasn't so great at it. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, those are the best learning opportunities too, right? Yeah. When we so-called fail, we learn from that. And then you learn from your mistakes and you do better next time. 
So, I mean, those I, I'm grateful for, I mean, I can say it now, I'm grateful for those failures. Um, you know, during it, it wasn't maybe, it was harder to find the gratitude, but, uh, you know, looking back, absolutely. Growth is uncomfortable. I mean, when you're a kid and, you know, you get Charlie horses in your legs and that's, you know, didn't your parents say, well, that's, you know, your legs are growing. So yeah, it's uncomfortable and it's, and it's super vulnerable. And, and people that are in management positions are extremely vulnerable. All of a sudden, everything about you is on display. Mm-hmm. What you wear, the the way that you look at may check your phone in a meeting, you know, people will notice that and yeah. much more than they would when you're an individual contributor, something that you'll say in, in totally. Slack or an email, you know, it's going to get shot, screenshotted and saved and your direct reports mm-hmm. are really going to think about what you said and what did she mean? And what did it mean when you responded with a smiley face, but not a smiley face and extra, I mean, it is like, you know, we're, you're yeah. on one side of it. And then when you're on the other side, you have to really appreciate the weight of everything you do mm-hmm. and everything that you are, um, and be really intentional about it. Um, and, and to your point, when you make mistakes, own it, mm-hmm. there, there is nothing worse than, you know, a leader who tries to cover up their mistakes or gets defensive. Like you, you got to set that example. So, right. Yeah, I agree. But I think you also have to stay strong, right? Like, so, I'll own whatever I did, but if that's not my circus, not my monkeys, I'm not owning it. And I'm going to say, no, 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 not my circus. And like put the boundary around myself and my team to protect them from certain things that are not in our wheelhouse or in our mandate, et cetera, et cetera. And that takes strong leadership because it's really easy to be like, okay, okay, okay. And that hoses you and hoses your team. And and that's when you miss deliverables. Totally. I mean, really good leaders and, and managers specifically, because that's that's who sure. I am writing to. And there is a difference, yes. right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but really good managers are are constantly playing whack-a-mole, you know, with all the mm-hmm. things that are coming into your mm-hmm. department and all the corporate yeah. politics that are happening here. And this person has a complaint and this person, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're protecting your team from a lot of that so that they can do their work and grow. Yeah. And it's it's shocking for a lot of people once they move into a management position, how much uh how much crap they have to deal with, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like what? Mm-hmm. I and and, you know, you can't just go and vent like you used to. Like, it's now, it's your it's your no. problem to kind of block your team from a lot of that. You learn to become much stronger with boundaries, too, as a manager, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I am personally still learning that. Um, so if you have any tips and tricks for me. <laughs> but, yeah, I think no it's, No is a really know, powerful word. I yeah. mean, that is... Yeah. That's a complete sentence, right, word. Liz? Right. <laughs> yes. Learning the word no was a key to my leadership it like is a key to my leadership and has Mm -hmm. been a key to like my leadership journey but learning that was not easy and it's actually a key to my whole self journey and to balancing work and motherhood and being a wife and being a community member I had to learn the word no because the word yes can come with sacrifice of self we can't do it all right no you you physically cannot yeah and that's gotten so much harder with the pandemic and everyone's working from home and our, our work and our life and our identity and my dog's working and my, you know, the kids oh, over yeah. here and the, and, and so it's, it's just become so much harder. And, and so mm-hmm. I wrote the book to kind of help address the reality of the situation that, that we're in, which is, it's much harder to draw those boundaries and, and to put yourself first mm-hmm. too. So, yeah. So 
answer for us, like, what do you think is different for the, you wrote this for the millennial leader and, and, and neither Kat nor I are because we're old ladies. Um, <laughs> what do you think is different for millennial leaders versus us Gen Xers or baby boomers or Gen Z? Like what, what's unique about that group that you're writing to? Yeah. So I'm, I'm on the older side of the millennial. So I'm, I'm a little bit younger than the Gen Z crowd, which I love. I love Gen Z people you, or sorry, Gen X people. Uh, y'all are fantastic. You had the best music. Thanks. Uh, super, <laughs> I'm super dear. jealous that you didn't have social media, like through college. Mm-hmm. Like that is a very mm-hmm. different and unique. Experience. You're the last cohort right. that right. like didn't I grow know. up with the phone in your hand. So, um, so you bring oh, a unique perspective, crazy. but, but speaking of that, I mean, I think that that is what, um, that's partly what millennials do bring and and why we are so different. We have grown up in a super hyper connected world. We're um, as a generation doing a lot of things that are befuddling society. Like we're, we're waiting longer to have kids. We're waiting longer to get married. We're living with roommates longer. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's some really kind of sad things too. Life expectancy is a little bit shorter. Um, the, the amount of wealth that my generation has is, is well far behind where Gen X and boomers were at this at this period of time. Sure. And so, you know, it can, so it can feel really dark at times. And, and yet we're the generation that's becoming these founders and these leaders and these, mm-hmm. you know, on our way to the C-suite. So. Yeah. You carpe diem the best. Uh, we're you guys we're carpe in carpe diem the best. You yeah. live for experiences and for the moment in a way that I think boomers for sure don't. And Gen X was taught not to as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I think is so unique, but also has to be a challenge as a manager. Oh, extremely so. And, and, you know, especially for millennials, certainly Gen Z who's coming into the workplace now, um, you cannot leave your values and your identity at the door. Um, and so this whole concept of professionalism has been turned upside down. And, and, you know, I think we really saw a big shift during 2020 and the, you know, George Floyd incident, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, that taught us a lot about the type of companies that that younger talent wants to work for and the types of conversations we need to be having in the workplace yeah. if you want to attract, you know, the the talent that's that's coming into mm-hmm. the workforce. It's just a business decision on on some level, you know, uh, morals aside. Um, and so, so I think millennials that are coming into these positions of power, I do think as a collective generation, we've done a lot of work mental health wise, we've done a lot of work to figure out who we want to be, how we want to be in the world. Um, and we're seeing things like, you know, the Google walkout, I think 2018, you know, there's a kind of a big sexual harassment, you know, there's about mm-hmm. around like the me too thing, Uber. numerous other, you know, incidents and episodes like that, where it's like, man, if you, if you are on the wrong side of history, you're not actually going to be able to run your business. Like employees will walk out, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. it's very different. It's very different. It is. It is. Um, and it's just the the reality of it. Some more tactical uh, things for millennials is, you know, we're much more comfortable behind a screen. You know, we much prefer DMs and text messages and emojis and memes. Yeah. As opposed to those phone calls. <laughs> As opposed to those phone calls. I mean, it is what it is. Like, we have to learn how to pick up the phone and call people. But, but um, you know, there's there's some big cultural differences. And I'm excited, though. I, I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I wrote this book to help other people like me that are maybe even just a few years younger than me, but I am observing from where I sit now, people coming into these positions of management with such 
force and such high ideals about who they want to be and what they want to leave behind as their legacy, that gets me really excited. And so the business world doesn't look like, you know, clocking in and out and kind of just, you know, you're one person at work, then you're another person at the church or or whatever. So just kind of address like the whole person. Wonderful. When someone tells you that they're being promoted to a management role, what's the first piece of advice that you give them? Yeah. So if somebody is being promoted to a management role who was previously on a team and they are now going to be managing their peers. Okay. That's, so that's, hard. that's a big challenge right there. Right. Exactly. And that, that is how I think most people get into management is you usually, yeah. I, I happen to not, I hired my team and kind of built it. Um, so you have a little bit of more honeymoon and grace period there, but if you are managing yes. your peers, Oh, it's so painful. Um, you are probably also managing somebody who didn't get the job that you mm-hmm. got. Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent. That's rough. That's rough. You're, you're going to be managing those folks. Um, you are not going to be very good at it right away. And you got to accept that. Were you, was anybody ever good at anything on day one? Nope. Um, and, and, and most likely you were pretty good at whatever job you just had, you know, that was part of why you got this. And so, you know, it's like when I went from community college to Berkeley, it was like, oh gosh, I'm a C student now. Well, this is upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) But the the very first critical thing that you just have to do is one, business continuity. Is there Mm -hmm. anything that you are now personally responsible for that you don't want to drop the ball on? So things like, are there expense reports I have to approve? Are there monthly check-ins with so-and-so that I have to absorb right away? Like for better or for worse, you got to think about the business. What are those business bits and pieces that I have to take on? Two is you want to think about your relationships with your team members and critically, and this is often forgotten, your relationships with your new peer group. And you're going to be putting a lot of energy into built, number one, building and establishing your relationships with your new direct reports. But if you neglect who's on the left and who's on the right of you in the org chart, you're not setting yourself up for success. So you have to find your new group of, of peers and, and prove yourself to them over time. Yeah, that's important. Managing managing across is just as important as managing up and managing down. Oh, well. you know, it's so all, important. It's all, they're all different and they're all important. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And often forgotten. Managing across is often forgotten. So mm-hmm. um, I, I always is. put a little extra emphasis on that. And I always feel bad for the people. I'm glad you talked to this. Like the people that are like, you're an individual contributor. And then all of a sudden you're manager. I like, I think it's so much better when someone can be like a team lead or at least like, half a notch and then half a notch versus a full notch because that like moving from the cubicles into the office thing is rough stuff. And, and I like what you say about like really preserving your relationships and making sure that all of a sudden expense reports don't go unseen or whatever. Like what do you have to do to keep your team moving? But then calling out that elephant in the room, like I know I sat in the cubicle next to you and now I'm your boss. Let's, you know, what are you excited about me being your boss? And what are you nervous about? Like, let's oh yeah, let's talk it out. Air, the airing of grievances. Out. Let's talk. <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah. It can be, it can be awkward and, and, you know, you're going to maybe have some, some difficult conversations waiting for you on day one and that's, yeah. that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up kind of the, the relationships with your, with your team Mm-hmm. likely you were closer to some people than others. It's just how the sure. way of it goes. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to kind of like 
become a little bit aloof for at least a period of time. Not to say you can't be friends at work. You can, but you owe it to everybody to be their boss. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen Mean Girls, like the cool mom. Yeah. Don't be the cool mom. Sure. Mm-hmm. You, they don't need a cool manager. They need a manager. And, right. and everyone should have equal access to you. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you previously were friends with them or still friends with them. So right. first you have to focus on being their manager. Then you can kind of lean back into maybe, you know, some, some social connections you might have in the workplace. Totally. Yeah. I think it's really hard. Like if you have a bestie and all of a sudden you're your bestie's manager, like that's almost something to talk to your manager about. Like I have this problem because. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because it, it it's almost worth talking about new teams and configurations and things like that because everyone else will be like, well, of course, Jane's your favorite, your best friends and hang out all the time. And, you know, she's your roommate. Like it's, it's tough stuff. Again, the elephants in the room. For oh, sure. the roommate situation. That's, that's gotta be the worst, right? To, for your roommate yeah, to become yeah, yeah. your boss. Try not, try not yeah. to live with Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this happens, mm-hmm. you know, it does all the time. It happens. To te- yeah. And, and it's not, it's not good. And it's, it's part of the reason why diversity becomes such a problem. It becomes this like insiders club. So, you know, you have to unpack yeah. that as a manager. For sure. So like you mentioned diversity of teams, which we believe is incredibly mm-hmm. important. And I think that managers who think about diversity in their teams are really good, but what other skills or processes or things do you see as commonplace amongst all good managers that you see? Cause the, like what threads do you see between people who manage really well, especially the millennial managers? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two things uh, you are probably in a management position because you have some natural soft skills. That is probably why you were tapped. So if if you're not aware of what soft skills you have and what kind of secret you know, superpower you have, that's a really good topic to work on with a coach, with your own manager, ask for peer feedback. So so finding, you know, where where is that strength and, and really leaning into that and nurturing that. But it's often a mistake to promote somebody solely based on they have mastered their craft. And so we're going to promote them and they're going to teach everybody. And yeah, that's like the classic thing, right? You know, don't someone, do that. Someone can be an excellent independent contributor, like just rock their role. Right. Good at everything, but they don't have the skills to be a manager. So right, right, right. It's a total. It's a I different. Kick butt at Python right. does not mean I kick butt at management. Mm-hmm. Right, it means right. I'm a good coder. Exactly. And I may not like people. <laughs> right. Just saying. <laughs> exactly. That said, there should be something in your craft that you stay very close mm-hmm. to. Like you should yeah. always have a little something in your back pocket, whether it's a technical skill or you're super knowledgeable about your industry or you have mm. super great connections over here. Like mm-hmm. don't completely dissolve into the management job to where you learn, you lose that like secret thing that you can coach people on that you're just totally on top of. You've mastered it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, I found sort of different things like that uh, within my craft of implementation and professional services, but I, I certainly am not, you know, the, the best implementation manager that I've ever yeah. worked with, you know? And then I think the third thing that I would say is the one skill that you should be really good at is public speaking. Mm-hmm. Every manager needs to be a good public speaker. I don't care if you hate it. I don't care if you're not naturally good at it, get good at it. You have to rely on that to A, lead a good meeting, 
be when you get called to, you know, give an update at a company meeting about what's going on your team. You need to wow your team. You need to represent them. You need them to feel, you know, really proud that you are there representing them and doing so well. So if there is one thing to really focus on that that every great manager should have, um, it's truly, uh, I believe, public speaking. I love that you pointed that out. Do you have any advice for our listeners on, on how to become a better public speaker? I do. Uh, Get the book. There is no, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, buy my book, Reach Hector 8. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So it, it is one of those things that, that gets better with practice, you know, recording yourself, mm-hmm. listening back to yourself. Um, it's really uncomfortable, but but do it. Uh, things like power posing, there's some science and kind of some kind of biochemistry hacks that you can do. Little micro opportunities to public speak, such as asking a question in a meeting. You know, if, if you're, you know, if you're really happy to be a religious person and there's like a prayer, like volunteer to give it, you know, like that, those yeah. are like little, little things that, you know, if that's part of your life, go for it. Um, if you're, if you're giving a toast at a wedding or if you're, if someone, if there's an open call for toast, give a toast and you're going to get nervous and sweaty and all those things. But over time, you know, you'll have done it enough times that that'll become more natural and you may never stop being nervous, but um, you're going to stop seeming nervous. So got to, got to get out there and got to go for it. Be a podcast guest. That is a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. Or start your own yeah. podcast. Or start your own podcast. Or, you, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities like this. Get interviewed. There, I mean, mm-hmm. the content is king and queen. So get yeah. interviewed. And, yeah. And but I, I agree. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a TED talk. No. It can no, no, just no. be presenting of information to another person, or as you said, giving us toast and like all those things are such great ways to practice I think watching speakers too watching good good speakers yeah. watch some TED talks you know dude yes yeah that that's helpful as well but, but I is. think the best thing I think that you're right Emily the best thing is to get out there and you know start small and and make yourself visible right ask yeah. questions mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, and if you want to get good as an individual contributor, you can always ask your manager, like, can I give our groups update at the all hands or like you? Yeah. And you're going to be sweating bullets, wear black, like I totally, <laughs> but, but you can practice before you're the, always the one on the, and it does get easier. I will tell you, you know, I, a couple months into this job and I've never been a big shy public speaker, but like, yeah, I get called on impromptu at the all hands. I'm like, Oh, and that is like, I got this. You got like it, it just, mm-hmm. it takes a few practices and it, you get more comfortable over time for sure. And I would never I guess that about you. Both of you, you come across as very, very confident and well-spoken. And so mm. there you go. It's paid off. <laughs> or ambiverts. Don't tell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also beta blockers uh <laughs> no i'm serious a lot of public speakers like have prescription beta blockers so um, really? just saying there are That's medical cool. options yeah yeah interesting did okay. not know that cool. talk to your doctor good to know, good to know. yeah right. <laughs> so i want to switch gears just a little bit here um you know we're in the middle of this you know great resignation and companies are desperate for talent as people consider new roles, how do you advise them to assess their potential new managers? Because, I mean, mm. we know people leave their jobs mostly because of their, their manager, right? That's what research shows. So how do you make a good decision to, you know, get yourself aligned with your next manager? 
Yeah, that that is almost always true. I, I believe that it, that it is almost always true when it comes to why people leave jobs. Mm-hmm. So, so number one, I think you can tell when companies really invest in their management uh, teams. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a big reason why I wanted to get out there with this message of, Hey, this is, this is an incredibly important layer of management that gets very neglected. You know, we focus a lot on the C-suites mm-hmm. and the VPs and they've got all their, you know, executive coaching, this and that, but your frontline managers are your mm-hmm. futures, you know, that's actually where the company is happening. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think, first of all, asking, and you don't have to ask the hiring manager this, but ask your recruiting team, what, what's it like to, you know, how, how many People get into management there. What is it like? Get some mm-hmm. sense of how well-supported managers are. Um, and you'll get a sense of, of how much bandwidth your individual manager is, is going to have for you. Mm-hmm. The second, I think, is I have personally almost always taken a job because I really connected with whether it was my direct manager or some head of department that I, that I interviewed with. Mm-hmm. And so insist that you have a conversation with either the hiring manager or, or, you know, sometimes they don't do that. Um, I've heard it, you know, some of the larger tech companies, they won't even do that. And, and it's part of, you know, trying to get a little bit more diverse and, you know, reduce some of the bias. And, I, and I'm very appreciative of, of, of those efforts. But from the, the candidate perspective, your reality of what the job mm-hmm. is going to be like is totally different by your manager. Yeah. That is really good advice. I would I would never yeah. uh, encourage anyone I work with to 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 accept a job without having at least met at least on the phone with with a yeah. manager with the person who's going to be their manager. Yeah, and that may change. Companies yeah, change. It may but, change fast. Yeah, right? no. With many companies, things change so fast. But at least going into it, you if you say yes, you have a sense that it's going to be a good fit. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think some specific questions that would be helpful are asking them for a story or two about somebody that they personally have coached into, you know, whatever role they eventually wanted to go into. And, and great managers remember, you know, they, they'll all have them, you know, they'll remember yeah. that that person that they got over into this role or that role. And mm-hmm. from the other side of it, as a hiring manager today, I have 100% noticed a, a very large shift in the kind of, uh, the the interviewing intensity of candidates as they're coming in, getting very grilled from a from a manager perspective. What do you do to coach people? How do you like to give feedback? Tell me about what your philosophy of performance is. Um, I'm having oh, listeners. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so, so I'm getting a lot I of love that. questions. Um, yeah. And I, and I really Don't appreciate you love it. That? Yeah. Oh, I do. I do. I love that. Yeah. It's like an opportunity to really think about those things too. So, and also, also it helps to show alignment, right? Either, you know, the more you say they're either going to be aligned or they're not. And if they're not, they're going to self-select out. And in the long run, you're going to hire a better fit. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So I'm excited. I think it's a good thing. Um, I think we're moving in a good direction. And, you know, to the point we were talking about earlier about millennials and, and Gen Z, um, the, these generations that are coming into leadership positions and coming into the workplace in general, um, there's much lower, just from a demographic perspective, there's much lower participation in things like fraternities and, and you know, church groups and PTA and those sorts of things. I mean, not that that's a stereotype, but, but the numbers show right, that. Right. And, and yep. so people are getting their their lives are revolving around the workplace a lot more 
this is your this is your social group. This is your culture. These are the people you hang out with after work. These are the people that you spend more time with in your family um, or, or your community. And you know, I'm not going to say if that's good or bad. I think you know, there's it is what it is. There's but romance. but people are so much more invested in the type of place that they're working. And as managers, mm-hmm. we have to accept that and realize that the workplace is so much more to people now than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. And to your point, as a manager, they're watching and listening to everything you say and do to see if this is a place that aligns with me and my the kind of community, quote unquote, that I want to be a part of. Um, so 100 percent. Yeah. So I mean, cool. even just, you know, I've been a manager for so many years and, and you know, recently I, I made a really unfortunate comment and I won't share it, uh, in, in a meeting. It was, you know, an offhand thing I wasn't yeah. thinking and I, and, uh, sure enough, it really, it hurt someone's feelings and, mm-hmm. and that was brought to me and, you know, I, I felt horrible about it and I, you know, yeah. made amends and learned from it. And, and, you know, it was a good reminder to be more intentional, but, you know, just thought it was a good reminder that everything you do um, is going to affect people. For sure. So on the flip side of hiring is retention. And like, frankly, as an HR leader, I'm more worried about retention than hiring, even though my company is hiring like crazy. But like retention to me is getting them in is one thing, keeping them is another. Mm-hmm. Share us some strategies for retention uh, on your teams. Yeah. So I... um I'm pretty intentional about focusing on, so, so in the management world, we have, we have these terms that people use and I'll just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, but we use like the term high performer, or low performer. You know, we have, mm-hmm. we have our A players and our B players. And then, and I've never loved all of that. People are people. You, you have a team of people. Everyone's got a different strength and so forth and so on. And, and especially I think as millennials, we see the best in people, we see the potential in everybody. And, and so if we notice that somebody's struggling, it's, it is our instinct to go and put your energy into, Oh, you know, Joe's having a tough time. And I know that if I could just coach him and work with him to get him to like be more confident or gain this skill, like he can get there. And that may be true. Mm-hmm. But let's say you got a team of 10 people and you have one that's really struggling. If you put all of that energy into getting to that person where they need to be, you just won't have enough in you to get, you know, the other nine people or the you know five people that are just so hungry for growth. Then they want to have conversations about their ideas. And I'm going to go here. And can you give me feedback on this? Because, mm-hmm. oh, I want to, I want to be a product manager. I want to be a founder. What do you think? And, mm-hmm. and if you don't kind of like intentionally carve out that energy and the, that coaching for the people that are having a, a great time with their career and are hungry for that growth, you're yeah. going to lose them you're going to lose them. And, and it is just, yeah. it goes against a lot of instincts, I think, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, especially for millennials, again, we're so relationship driven to, to mm-hmm. kind of say, Oh, well, that person's okay. They're doing fine. I don't need to meet with them. They're just, mm-hmm. they're crushing it, but like, they're starting to yeah. think about leaving. Right. Yeah. So you have mm-hmm. to be really, really focused with your time and realize that you may not be able to help everybody. And, and yep. it is okay to help the person to the extent that is, that is not going to be a detriment to the whole team. 
yeah. um, because you are just one person. Um, and, and so I, I've gotten a lot better at that um, over the years. But but I think, you know, being able to feed and, and meet everybody where they're at, especially the you know, quote unquote top performers, mm-hmm. I think is, is really, really important to get better at. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, spend your time on your top performers versus your bottom ones. You know, it's, it's, it's like in the classroom. Yeah. I was an elementary school teacher a hundred years ago and like you end up, who do you spend the most time on You're the, the trouble, the kids who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even, yeah. you know, and I would say all kids are important, but it's like the worst is if the, the top of the class is bored. And yeah. 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 Well, and they, and they will leave you. And and so it turns into right. this vicious cycle <laughs> is, grade, yes. well, right. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm out of here. No. Um, but what will happen is as, as folks start to leave because they're not kind of being nurtured and challenged and fed, then the manager has to plug in for them. So now mm-hmm. you've gotten yourself in a position where you're supporting folks over here that are struggling and you're doing the job of people that have left mm-hmm. and you're now you have to go and hire people and okay, yeah. now hiring takes all this energy and I'm getting grilled about this and I've hired people, but now they're not ramped and the people that should have ramped them are no longer on the team. And you just, it turns right. into this like death wheel spiral and, and yeah. it's just, it's bad. It's bad. But I think more systemic investing in managers really good managers from a company perspective, Mm -hmm. in addition to the individual contributors and in addition Mm -hmm. to executives, but that, that layer that's right there, Mm -hmm. that is so key um, to place attention. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's the ones that are more moldable, right? It's like you're a person who's been managing for 20 years and has always been a curmudgeon and is still a curmudgeon. You're not going to get them an executive coach, even the best one on the planet, and turn them into a happy, smiley, happy person. It's just not happening. But you get a yeah. coach for someone at that new management level that can really help them hone and find their voice, that's invaluable. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. invested in. Totally. And guess what? That could be your CEO in a few years. Yeah. So, yeah. you know why not, why not start them there? Um, and then at the, on the other token, people that are showing real potential to be managers that are on the individual contributor level, giving them that sort of guided framework of, Hey, take on project X, Y, Z to develop some of your coaching skills, get them involved in the hiring cycle, get them to take on cross-functional things to get the next cohort of managers ready to go so that the Mm -hmm. existing ones, you know, can move, can move forward too. all good stuff. Totally. Like we were saying before, go up a half a notch yeah. versus right. like, and, and so a good manager's preparing their next gen people. You're absolutely right. Facilitating those opportunities. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So here we are at the beginning of 2022, right? And we're entering year two, year two of COVID, which is crazy. Talk to us about what you see as the manager's biggest challenge for the upcoming year. Yeah. Yeah. So we are in one of the biggest transitions that has happened in society, I think probably since the sixties. And and I think it, it didn't start in 2020. I think it started a few years earlier, but it, but we're in one of the biggest just foundational shifts in how we work and how we live that, that has happened in maybe 50 years, certainly in a, in a couple of generations. Uh, I can't tell you what the world's going to be like in six months. I wish I could, I, I couldn't. But I can tell you that staying interested, curious, 
open to new ideas mm-hmm. and willing to grow your own knowledge of the future of work. Mm-hmm. That is what is going to best set you up and your team for success in the coming year. Mm-hmm. The pandemic could go away. It could get worse. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. But what we do know is that people's values have changed where they see themselves, their priorities and, and what they want to do with their life has changed. I mean, for me, it, it forced me into writing this book or finishing the book, yeah. this book, I should say, you know, I kind of got to that point of like, I can't, I can't not finish it. I have to finish it. Yeah. Um, and so I think for managers being authentic to who you are and where you're at and being honest about that, and being relentlessly curious about what is happening in the world around us and not kind of married to some idea in the past about what we thought the world would be or what it should be, or, you know, business models that may have worked great in the eighties, you know, or the fifties, you know, being, being insatiably curious um, Mm -hmm. is going to be the best, the best singular advice I would give to people um, to, to thrive uh, in the coming year. Yeah. And wear a, mask. <laughs> wear a mask. <laughs> wear a mask. <laughs> and be flexible. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I, I think you're 100% right. Be curious and be flexible. So when you're curious and you're authentically saying, how are you? And the person's got a kid at home because there's Rona in the class and or like two kids at home or four kids at home because we're all going to have kids at home that have kids. Yeah. Um, be flexible and hear them and like care it's year two of you should be flexible. And like the, but if you're like back in the office, hundred percent, well, then you're missing the memo. Like we're not going back to that. No, no, we're not. Like, so don't miss the memo. Yeah. <laughs> some, some people may choose to do that. Right. I've got some clients sure. that are, that are absolutely, I need to be back in the office and several people on the team are back in the office. And that's great right. that they have the ability to do that. But there are other people on that same team that are not interested in that and not comfortable with that. And that has to be honored and, and workarounds need to be figured out because the team is valuable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I personally am very much looking forward to getting into the office again. Uh, I got some extrovert yeah. energy that's kind mm-hmm. of uh, <laughs> burning up <laughs> uncomfortably. <laughs> but again, but I, curiosity. Right. Yeah, exactly. But but the future of work is is hybrid um, and or remote, I think, you know, um, and, and increasingly, you know, borders, uh, whether they're physical or mental are, are being broken down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very easy to distribute work all over the world um, and things like, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrency, I, you know, this, this is to, I, I can't even conceive what, what is going to be different in tech, just the way that people in the nineties could not conceive the internet. Like you could not conceive sure. what is this mm-hmm. and, and technology is at that place now where, yeah. I, it, the, the framework doesn't exist. Um, so, right. you know, it's, it's going to be unrecognizable 10 years from now. So, you know, stay relevant, stay curious and stay open. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And awesome. these are exciting times, right? That's, that's, I think our perspective about what we're entering is really important too. Mm-hmm. I think so. And, you know, just kind of stepping back for a minute, the MRNA technology that created this vaccine in, in such a short time. That is, mm-hmm. in my view, the equivalent of, of putting a man on the moon um, in the period mm-hmm. of time that I did. And, and I think we've, we've lost track of just how incredibly miraculous science and technology is right now. And, and there are some really innovative things happening all over the world and, and places like 
you know, Africa and Southeast Asia and, you know, Latin America are, are coming into the middle class and into, you know, digital connectivity um, and having access to, to all sorts of, of resources. And, and I'm really excited about that. So I think if anything, I'd just like to end on a point of optimism. I think we're, we're at a big yeah. inflection point right now. Totally. Yeah, 100%. Well, you're fabulous. And we're so honored that you've joined us. We're so excited that you put yourself out there and shared your book and your knowledge and your experience. Please plug yourself, plug away, plug the book, plug it all and tell people where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can uh, learn a little bit more about me, my book, my podcast at emilycitrian.com. It's Emily spelled the the kind of standard way, T-S-I-T-R-I-A-N dot com. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter, so you can find me there. And I would love to hear what you thought of the book. So go pick up a copy today at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, or your favorite indie local bookstore it is uh, being sold there too. Let me know what you think. Absolutely. Thank you so much, yeah, Emily. Me. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. This is Real Job Talk, the podcast with practical advice for mid-career professionals. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Facebook and Instagram at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kathleen Nelson Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat. And on LinkedIn, I'm Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm Liz B. Consult. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is produced by John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And thanks for joining us. Until next time.